0: chapter 18 of undine this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by Pete williams undine by friedrich de la mot fouquet translated by fe bunnet chapter 18 how the knight huldbrand is married If I were to tell you how the marriage-feast passed at Castle Ringstetten, it would seem to you as if you saw a heap of bright and pleasant things, but a gloomy veil of mourning spread over them all, the dark hue of which would make the splendour of the whole look less like happiness than a mockery of the emptiness of all earthly joys. It was not that any spectral apparitions disturbed the festive company, for we know that the castle had been secured from the mischief of the threatening water-spirits, but the knight and the fisherman and all the guests felt as if the chief personage were still lacking at the feast, and that this chief personage could be none other than the beloved and gentle Undine. Whenever a door opened— the eyes of all were involuntarily turned in that direction, and if it was nothing but the butler with new dishes, or the cupbearer with a flask of still richer wine, they would look down again sadly, and the flashes of wit and merriment which had passed to and fro would be extinguished by sad remembrances. The bride was the most thoughtless of all, and therefore the most happy, but even to her it sometimes seemed strange that she should be sitting at the head of the table, wearing a green wreath and gold-embroidered attire, while Undine was lying at the bottom of the Danube, a cold and stiff corpse, or floating away with the current into the mighty ocean. For ever since her father had spoken of something of the sort, his words were ever ringing in her ear, and this day especially they were not inclined to give place to other thoughts." The company dispersed early in the evening, not broken up by the bridegroom himself, but sadly and gloomily by the joyless mood of the guests, and their forebodings of evil. Bertolda retired with her maidens and the knight with his attendants, but at this mournful festival there was no gay, laughing train of bridesmaids and bridesmen bertalda wished to arouse more cheerful thoughts she ordered a splendid ornament of jewels which huldbrand had given her together with rich apparel and veils to be spread out before her in order that from these latter she might select the brightest and most beautiful for her morning attire her attendants were delighted at the opportunity of expressing their good wishes to their young mistress not failing at the same time to extol the beauty of the bride in the most lively terms They were more and more absorbed in these considerations, till Bertalda at length, looking in a mirror, said with a sigh, Ah, but don't you see plainly how freckled I am growing here at the side of my neck? They looked at her throat, and found the freckles as their fair mistress had said, but they called them beauty spots, and mere tiny blemishes only, tending to enhance the whiteness of her delicate skin bertalda shook her head and asserted that a spot was always a defect and i could remove them she sighed "Alas, last only the fountain is closed from which i used to have that precious and purifying water oh if i had but a flask of it to-day is that all said an alert waiting-maid laughing as she slipped from the apartment she will not be mad exclaimed bertalda in a pleased and surprised tone She will not be so mad as to have the stone removed from the fountain this very evening. At the same moment they heard the men crossing the courtyard, and could see from the window how the officious waiting woman was leading them straight up to the fountain, and that they were carrying levers and other instruments on their shoulders. "'It is certainly my will,' said Bertalda, smiling, "'if only it does not take too long.' and, happy in the sense that a look from her now was able to effect what had formerly been so painfully refused her, she watched the progress of the work in the moonlit castle court. The men raised the enormous stone with an effort. Now and then, indeed, one of their number would sigh as he remembered that they were destroying the work of their former beloved mistress, but the labor was far lighter than they had imagined. It seemed as if a power within the spring itself were aiding them in raising the stone. (It is just, said the workmen to each other in astonishment, as if the water within had become a springing fountain.) And the stone rose higher and higher, and almost without the assistance of the workmen, it rolled slowly down upon the pavement with a hollow sound. But from the opening of the fountain there rose solemnly a white column of water. At first they imagined it had really become a springing fountain, till they perceived that the rising form was a pale female figure, veiled in white. She was weeping bitterly, raising her hands wailingly above her head and wringing them as she walked with a slow and serious step to the castle building. The servants fled from the spring. The bride, pale and stiff with horror, stood at the window with her attendants, When the figure had now come close beneath her room, it looked moaningly up to her, and Bertalda thought she could recognize beneath the veil the pale features of Undine. But the sorrowing form passed on, sad, reluctant, and faltering, as if passing to execution. Bertalda screamed out that the knight was to be called, but none of her maids ventured from the spot, and even the bride herself became mute. As if trembling at her own voice. While they were still standing fearfully at the window, motionless as statues, the strange wanderer had reached the castle, had passed up the well known stairs and through the well known halls, even in silent tears. Alas, how different had she once wandered through them! The knight, partly undressed, had already dismissed his attendants, and in a mood of deep dejection he was standing before a large mirror, a taper was burning dimly beside him. There was a gentle tap at his door. Undine used to tap thus when she wanted playfully to tease him. "'It is all fancy,' said he to himself. "'I must seek my nuptial bed.' "'So you must. But it must be a cold one,' He heard a tearful voice say from without, and then he saw in the mirror his door opening slowly, slowly, and the white figure entered, carefully closing it behind her. "'They have opened the spring,' said she softly, "'and now I am here, and you must die.' HE FELT IN HIS PARALYSED HEART THAT IT COULD NOT BE OTHERWISE, BUT COVERING HIS EYES WITH HIS HANDS HE SAID, DO NOT MAKE ME MAD WITH TERROR IN MY HOUR OF DEATH. IF YOU WEAR A HIDEOUS FACE BEHIND THAT VEIL, DO NOT RAISE IT, BUT TAKE MY LIFE, AND LET ME SEE YOU NOT. ALAS, REPLIED THE FIGURE, WILL YOU THEN NOT LOOK UPON ME ONCE MORE? I AM AS FAIR AS WHEN YOU WOOED ME ON THE PROMONTORY. Oh, if it were so, sighed Huldbrand, and if I might die in your fond embrace. Most gladly, my loved one, said she, and throwing her veil back, her lovely face smiled forth divinely beautiful. Trembling with love and with the approach of death, she kissed him with a holy kiss. But not relaxing her hold, she pressed him fervently to her, and as if she would weep away her soul. Tears rushed into the knight's eyes, and seemed to surge through his heaving breast, till at length his breathing ceased, and he fell softly back from the beautiful arms of Undine upon the pillows of his couch. A corpse. "'I have wept him to death,' said she to some servants who met her in the antechamber, and passing through the affrighted group, she went slowly out, toward the fountain. End of chapter 18 Recording by Pete Williams, Pittsburgh, P.A.